0: Good morning, and welcome to our first um, Emmanuel Baptist live stream of the uh, of the new year in 2021. And it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, and uh, it's been um, a long couple of weeks, these last two weeks. Um, and um, but I'm thankful to be back here and be back with you. Um, and I trust that uh, you are doing well. I know that a uh, number uh, of folks um, here uh, at Emmanuel are um, are have experienced uh, quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, and so of course we're praying for each other, and uh, we're thankful to be able to minister to you. Uh, and so I just want to say thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, and um, and as always, if there's anything that we can do um, for you, I would like to encourage you to reach out to us uh, through our website at ebcelcorn.com. Uh, you can leave us an email there. You can get our phone number. You can call. Um, and, of course, um, we want to be able to serve you in any way that we can uh, in this new year. Uh, and uh, hopefully, Lord willing, we will be having uh, in-person services again beginning next Sunday. Uh, and so we're excited for that prospect. But um, we do want to prepare for that. But we're trying to do everything we can to make sure that um, everyone is safe and that we're being... Um, Careful and good stewards and good neighbors at the same time with all these things. So, um, we just encourage your, uh, we thank you for your patience and encourage you, um, to keep, keep, keep praying and, uh, and trust in the Lord for His will, uh, in the new year. Um, this morning we're not going to have a regular service here, uh, but I do want to share with you a message, um, from the book of Psalms, specifically, uh, the hundred and fiftieth psalm. And so if you're, uh watching this at home and you've got your bible there uh i would invite you to turn it uh to psalm 150 uh this is uh the the final psalm in the Psalter it's the final message in our series of finding purpose uh, in the psalms uh and um uh this series has taken um a little bit over 5 years of time uh in order to complete and it's also um it's also been um 195 messages uh in the making this is the 195th message um in the book of psalms that i've preached and so i'm thankful for that privilege to be able to study this incredibly um, wonderful book um, with you and uh, i hope that as we've gone through it you've learned a lot i know i have been challenged uh been encouraged and uh certainly today will not be any exception to that there's much to be uh to, to learn, much to be um taught here from Psalm 150. And so um I'd like to begin just by reading a psalm and uh, then um having a word of prayer as we ask the Lord's help and uh and direction as we study the word of God together. Um and then and then I'd like to share with you just a message uh from Psalm 150 today. So let's read it. Uh you can follow along with me or I suppose if you'd like you can read it out loud uh along with me there. Uh, At home, Psalm 150 begins, praise the Lord, praise Yah, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty firmament, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with the lute and harp, praise him with the timbrel and dance, praise him with stringed instruments and flutes, praise him with loud cymbals, praise him with crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise Yahweh. Praise Yah. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help uh, as we we study his word together today. Father, we thank you for this privilege once again of opening your word. Every time we get to do that, it is a privilege. Uh, We are so blessed um, uh, beyond measure to have the scriptures that we can hold in our hands, that we can read, that we can meditate on, that we can memorize. Uh, and Father, we have, we are, are, are certainly um, recipients of a great blessing, and you have given that to us, and we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for uh, this new year and um, another uh, another year uh, in which we have opportunity to to, to serve you, to worship you, uh, and to um, to further uh, your work in this world as we continue to be faithful and and we seek to. Uh, stand firm and stand true on the truths that you have have revealed in Scripture uh, and as we, we want to preach the gospel. And we thank you for that. Father, I ask you this morning uh, that you would minister to us as we gather together in this way, which is unusual, uh, but certainly uh, in the last year we've had to do many unusual things and get used to some things that uh, we never anticipated. But uh, Father, we know that you are in control of all these circumstances. And so we trust you in that and we pray that this time uh, of 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 opening your word would be a fruitful time, Father. Use it to encourage, to strengthen, to illumine us. Um, and uh, Father, I pray that you would use me as I speak. I um, certainly struggle in many ways to put into practice the the lessons of this psalm, and I uh, I pray for your mercy and your pardon for me when I fail. But also, Father, I pray that you would be gracious to me now. And, Help me uh, to be able to share the word of God in a way that will encourage and help uh, and draw us to You, uh, rather than anything that would detract from You. And so, Lord, we 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 ask these things in Jesus' name uh, and for His sake. Amen. Uh, now, um, as you can probably tell, uh, Psalm one hundred and fifty is uh, is. Uh, About one thing. There's one theme. There's one thing that recurs over and over. In fact, there's one word that is repeated, uh, 13 times, uh, really in this Psalm. Uh, and in fact, it's the opening word of each line, uh, with the exception of the last verse, uh, in verse six. That doesn't open with the word, but it contains the same word. And the word, of course, is praise. That's what this Psalm is all about. And, and this Psalm really serves to, to, to act as the conclusion of the book of Psalms, all 150. Uh, certainly, it's a conclusion of the the final Hallel, which is made up of the last five Psalms, 146 to 150. And each of those Psalms begins and ends with the word Hallelujah. Praise the Lord is how the New King James translates that. Uh, and, uh, and you yeah, know, we're familiar with the term Hallelujah, but that's the word that begins and ends each of these Psalms. And Psalm 150 it's kind of like putting the exclamation point on, uh, on the, the rest of it. It's kind of like saying, okay, when everything else has been said, and, and you think about that. Think about all of the things that we have seen and learned and heard, uh, as we have gone through the book of Psalms over these past five years. Uh, think about, um, the incredible variety of, of prayers that we have prayed, uh, along with the psalmist. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of praise, and and of rejoicing, Uh, but along with that, prayers of desperation and of despair uh, in the midst of very dark and difficult times. Uh, Think about uh, prayers of of grief and sorrow, where uh, the the psalmist has expressed uh, the pain that he felt over a personal loss or over uh, having friends turn against him or, or, or other people who have opposed him. Uh, think of all of the different things. Think of the times where the psalmist has cried out and, and, and said, uh, that in his circumstances, he doesn't see God. And yet, uh, routinely he comes to the end of a psalm and says, but it, but even so, I'm going to praise and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to rest on you. And, uh, you know, uh, there's so many different types of psalms and songs and hymns that we have read and we have prayed and we have sung. And it's kind of like, after all of that has been said, right, after after everything has been said that can be said uh, in worship of God, what is the final word? What is the final word? Psalm 150 tells us, praise. The final word. When everything else has been said, when everything else has been done, what is left to do? And that is praise the Lord. When you think about that, uh, it's important for us to consider what Psalm 150 says. Uh, and uh, it's very specific. Um, and, and it really, but at the same time, Psalm 150 opens the door to uh, really an incredible wealth of of resources. And it kind of, it, in a way, some of the things that the psalmist says here kind of um, is a way of him trying to kind of squeeze in everything that the previous 149 psalms have said uh, so that we might, Reflect on them and praise the Lord. So notice what he says here. And and there's really four questions, maybe three, but I think we're gonna we'll look at four um, uh, questions that the psalmist addresses here, or that this psalm addresses. And they're very simple questions. They're the kind of observation questions that we that we always say we want to make when we come to scripture, right? We want to ask those questions: the who, what, when, where, how, and why, those kind of questions. Well, those are the questions that we see here in Psalm 150 all of them relating to this subject of praise right so let's look at verse 1 and verse 1 what the psalmist is addressing is the where question right where should god be praised right where should god be praised and notice what he says praise the lord praise yah praise god in his sanctuary Praise him in his mighty firmament. What is his sanctuary here? Well, of course, uh, there's probably two different ways to answer that question. Uh, the sanctuary could refer to the the the, the 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 temple or tabernacle that was located in Jerusalem, depending on what when this psalm was written. And, of course, we don't know um, when the psalm itself was written. There's nothing to date it by. Um, but the sanctuary would have been that, that holy place, that place where God dwelled, that place where God was to be worshipped. And, and in Jerusalem, in the Old Testament era, you have the temple, uh, you have the tabernacle before that, where God had said this was the place that he was uh, to dwell and where his people, Israel, the redeemed, the the saints, the ones who had believed on him and had trusted in him and his mercy and grace to save them, they were to come and they were to gather there and they were to worship him and praise him. And so he ought to be praised in the sanctuary. And it's true that he ought to be praised in the place where his people gather. And, you know, the same thing is true today, whether that's... um, uh, Obviously, we don't don't have a temple uh, in the sense of... The temple in Jerusalem, that temple, of course, was destroyed, been destroyed multiple times, uh, and, uh, the last time in AD 70 it never rebuilt since then. Um, but the truth of the matter is we look in the New Testament and we have things like the apostle Paul saying in first Corinthians that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the, to the, to the individual Christian, but he also says in the same book that, that, that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, referring to the church. And so, uh, there is still, a place of gathering, right? There's still a place where God's people come together and worship the Lord. And I realize that today, uh, that, that the church has fallen on hard times in many people's eyes. Uh, and uh, a lot of people look at the church as a, the institution of the church, if you will, and they say, well, you know, that's, that's, it's all built up, it's bloated, it's got all this, uh, you know, money and structure, and it's all about these things. And, and, and of course, uh, some of those criticisms are rightly deserved. Uh, Christians, have earned through our through our hypocrisy, uh, we have earned a bad reputation sometimes in the communities in which we live. That not ought, that ought not be so. But the truth of the matter is, the church uh, is what where it's where it's at. It's what God is doing in the world today. He is working in and through His church. Jesus promised that in Matthew 16, that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. It is his church. Uh, Ephesians 5 says that he gave himself, Christ gave himself to cleanse his church uh, and to, to wash it pure and present it to himself pure and spotless. That is what God is doing today. And so when the church is gathered together, it is a place of worship. It is a sanctuary. It is the place where God's name is to be praised. And so I think it's really important for us to understand that and especially important in these days. Think about it. All that's happened in 2020 and now, now the beginning of 2021. And what do we have? We have, uh, this coronavirus uh, epidemic that is still spreading and still ongoing. And, and, and in some places you have churches that have not been allowed to meet. Um, and then in other places, just for, uh, for wisdom's sake, because of a, an outbreak within the church or something, of course, like in our case, most recently, uh, where we've canceled services due to that. Uh, and so, um, we have not been able to meet and gather like we normally would. Uh, and I think that we need to remember that just because we may be providentially hindered from gathering from time to time is not an excuse, it's not a reason to dismiss the church. It's not a reason for you to say, well, I don't need to be a part of the church. I don't need to be there present when the church does gather. Uh, I can just I can just watch from home. Well, you know what you're wrong about that. Oh, I mean physically, you can just watch from home. that's true, uh, but there's something wrong spiritually with a believer who doesn't want to gather in the sanctuary to praise God. Right. And I'm not talking about a specific building per se. I'm talking about with his people wherever they gather. Right. It wouldn't matter if we gathered in this building, if we met in a gymnasium. It wouldn't matter if we met out on a, on a snowy, uh, hillside for crying out loud, although I don't necessarily advocate that in January in Wisconsin. Uh, but you know, wherever God's people are gathered is a place of worship. It is a place where he is to be praised. Psalm 150 makes that very clear. We are to praise him in his sanctuary. Uh, and that's something we are called to do, and i don't think that we can um, dismiss that lightly. In fact, I think there's a lot of people today who are 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 treading on very dangerous ground as Christians who are saying, "Well, I can just stay home and I can just watch church from home on my on my computer or my TV and i don't need to be around other christians i don't need to be in the fellowship of saints i don't need to be gathered there to worship the Lord." And again, strictly speaking, that may be true uh, to a degree, but the reality is that's a very dangerous position to put yourself in. And I would caution you, if that's your mindset, uh, that you don't follow that, don't feed that, uh, but uh, allow <clears throat> allow the fact that at times we have to be separated. Allow that to fuel your desire to come together. Uh, and uh, that was what uh, someone said to me earlier uh, last year when we were under the lockdown back in March and April. One of our church members I spoke with and, and uh, he said to me, you know, uh, this has given me a renewed sense of the importance of being gathered with the church, uh, because I realize how much it's, how much it's necessary, how much I need it, and how much I want to be here. And uh, that is such a, an important um, an important lesson. And I was encouraged when I heard that because uh, that's what my prayer has been for you uh, and for our church is that when we're separated because of coronavirus, it would stir up in us a greater desire to be together, not uh, give us a satisfaction of, of feeling as if we can somehow be okay at home. Uh, I, I've chased that rabbit probably too far here, but uh, but it's important to understand the psalmist affirms that when, when and where the people of God gather in the sanctuary, they are to praise him. But you know, it's interesting because this word sanctuary could refer and some, some suggest it's referring to the heavenly sanctuary. And we know that God is worshiped in heaven. Uh, we know that the Bible reveals to us that the angels are worshiping God. Think about Isaiah 6 where Isaiah sees the seraphim flying around the throne and, and all they do all day long is praise the Lord. So, in a sense, when His people are gathered together here on earth in a in a local church gathering somewhere, and we praise the Lord, we are reflecting what is going on in heaven all the time. That's all we're doing. We're simply uh, re- really entering into the, the ongoing flow of worship that is constantly being offered to the Lord in heaven in His sanctuary, and that's an imp- important thing, an appropriate thing here. But the second thing He says there is praise Him in His mighty firmament, and that again really is. Is, is referring to the expanse. It's the word that's used of the skies back in Genesis 1 where it talks about creation. Um, interestingly enough in, uh, in Ezekiel 1 when he has a vision of God's throne and the angels who are, who are carrying God's throne, uh, and moving it about, uh, and he says that there's a great expanse above their wings, uh, and that's when he, where, when he looks in the expanse is where he sees God up there in the, in the expanse, if you will. This is where God lives. The expanse, here really refers to that, which it kind of is is the way of, it's kind of the Bible's way of saying, listen, there's a place for you people, human beings. And you know what that place is? It's earth. And there's a place for God. And that is in his mighty firmament, his expanse, the place where he dwells. And so in a sense, what the psalmist is saying is everywhere, everywhere, God ought to be praised, right? In the sanctuary, where his people gather, in the expanse of the heavens, Everywhere, everywhere that is the domain of man and everywhere that is beyond the domain of man is a place where God is to be praised. Uh, and so the psalm really kind of emphasizes that, that praise is to be given to God from every place. Uh, it's universal. It's extensive. But then notice in verse 2, and verse 2 is really, really a massive verse when you stop and think about what it says. Notice what he says. Here's, here's where we get to answer the the why question. Right? Why is God to be praised? Right? Verse 2, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. And again, these terms are so important. His mighty acts. Well, what is included in the mighty acts of God? Oh, let, let me change that question around a little bit. The real question we should ask is, what is not included in the mighty acts of God? right is there anything that we could look at on this world and say that's not got anything to do with god that's not anything to do with the work of god what what do we see we we see uh you know that i know it's 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 overused sometimes and and we don't always appreciate the way it's used because we don't always treat it properly but think of the verse romans 8:28 you 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 probably familiar with the verse where it says We know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, right? All things work together for our good as the children of God, those who have been called by God. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have been saved, if you've been born again by the Holy Spirit, and you have new life in Christ because you believed on him, then guess what? Everything that happens in your life Everything that happens to you, everything that happens around you, everything that happens in the world is for your good. It is God's fingerprints are on it, if you will. I know this really does present us with some challenges because one of the things that we have to deal with and wrestle with as Christians is how can God be a good God when he allows so much suffering and evil, so much uh, uh, hardship and pain in the world? Uh, and that is a very challenging question that Christians have to answer. Uh, and of course everyone really has to answer that question. How do we explain the presence of evil and suffering and all that? But uh, as Christians, we need to understand that, that the Bible presents us very, very important lesson and truth, and that is that everything that happens has God's fingerprints. There is nothing in this world we can say, well, God had nothing to do with it. God was completely separate. That happened and he wasn't aware of it. Or that happened and he did not have some purpose or plan. He's not using that somehow. There is nothing that happens that we can say is apart from him. So when when the psalmist says praise him for his mighty acts, that really includes everything. Because everything that happens is a part of God's great and, and, and glorious purpose in this world. Now, I know for some people that creates a great deal of, of, of struggle within them because they have experienced loss and pain to a degree that they find it unacceptable. How and they, and, they, and they find it impossible to reconcile. How can God allow this to happen to me? How could God allow me to suffer in this way? How could God uh, take that person away from me? How could God allow that sickness to come? How could God uh, allow this to happen? And, and again, you look back on what's happened in 2020. How, how could God allow this virus to spread and so many people to die? Uh, how could God allow all of these circumstances to take place? Um, but, you know, this is important for us to, uh, to understand, that the Scripture affirms that God is indeed involved in all of these things. He is working His plan, and His plan is good. And that does not mean that everything that happens in this world and everything that happens in this life is good. But we can praise him because even in the midst of difficulties and trials, even in the midst of the most painful circumstances, God is still to be praised. Now, how do I know that? Okay, well, let me give you just one. I can give you a lot more, but I'm going to give you one example from Scripture. Uh, it's the book of Job in Job chapter 2. And, of course, most of us are familiar with the story of Job. Job, in a single day, lost everything, literally everything. He lost all of his wealth. He lost all, or rather i 'm going to be in Job one, I said Job two, but Job chapter one, he lost all of his wealth, everything that he owned in the world that made him a rich and wealthy man, which he was a very wealthy man, and on top of that, he lost every one of his children in the same day in a freak windstorm uh, that, that 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 of course he had no way of knowing uh, what caused it or why it happened, but this these great tragedies took place in his life, and he was ruined. Uh, and all of that happened, and here's what we read about Job when he received word that his children had all been lost in this uh in this storm in this tragedy in Job one and verse twenty. then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground. Now notice here he 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 tore his robe, he shaved his head, these were signs of grief. Job is not impassive. He's not just keeping a stiff upper lip, and and he's going to tough it out, and he's not going to let this hit him at all. This is hitting Job. This is striking Job, and it's causing him great personal pain. So Job is experiencing pain and loss on a a level that I dare say, as bad as some of us, and even people. I'm thankful we look at our church and 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 the little, um, the 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 little that. The coronavirus and all that has really affected our lives, has really taken from us this year. I'm thankful for that. God has been gracious to us. Some people have lost far more. But I dare say no one has lost uh, what Job lost. and uh, No one has experienced the level of loss. But notice what Job said. He, Even in the midst of this, he fell to the ground and worshipped. That is, he bowed down. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Listen, blessed be the name of the Lord. What did Job do on the darkest day of his life? What did he do in the midst of personal loss and suffering beyond anything that I can imagine? What did Job do in that moment when everything in his world had been completely turned upside down, when there had been a massive earthquake that had shaken him to the very core of his being? What did he do? He praised the Lord. He vocally spoke words to declare the goodness of the name of God. He blessed the name of the Lord. That is an incredible testimony. And so I know the truth. You know the truth. If you read scripture, that the Lord is to be praised for his mighty acts. He is constantly at work in our lives doing mighty acts, things that are worthy of praise. Now, again, you say, well, what are some of those things? We could be specific, right? Obviously, we see God as the creator. You can read I mean, really, the whole Bible. And uh, uh, someone else said uh, that the whole Bible kind of could be could be pressed into verse two here. Everything that the Bible records kind of classifies as one of God's mighty acts. Think about creation, right? God spoke; He spoke, and it was so. He said, "Let there be light." There was light. He said, uh, "Let the dry land appear." He said, "Let the the land bring forth vegetation and trees and fruit." Let let the let the the, the earth bring forth uh, living creatures, uh, and, and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and, and all of that. He spoke and those things came to be God created. That is a mighty act and he is worthy of praise and worship for it. But it's not just some great act of creation off in ancient history, but the scripture affirms that God created you and created me individually, personally. Right? Think of Psalm 139 and, uh, great Psalm 139. It speaks so much of God's intimate a creative act in the in the life of the individual, right? Notice what he says in verse 13, Psalm 139, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. The Lord created you in your mother's womb. The Lord created me in my mother's womb. The Lord determined the days of your life. He determined the number of your days. He determined the quality of your days. He determined what your life would be like. So we oftentimes think about and focus on our circumstances, and we focus on our pain and our suffering. We focus on the physical things that we endure. We focus on the broken relationships and the the difficult relationships that we have. We focus on on maybe the lack of personal relationships that we have. We don't have the friendships we wish we had, or or we focus on uh, on on difficulty in, in our job, or a car that won't run right, or a house that's. That's just not what we wish it would would be. Or we focus on the dysfunction of our government or our taxes or or any of these things. And certainly uh, 2020 was filled with with a variety of those kind of things that we could complain about if we wanted to. And unfortunately, we do often complain about. What does the psalmist say? Now, the psalmist says, you created me and you numbered my days. You formed my days. You determined my days before I was ever born. All of these things that were happening in my life—none of these things are accidents. These are things God has prescribed for you and for me. And our problem, I think, a lot of times, is that we make praise about us. We make praise about how we feel, right? So we praise God when we feel good. We praise God when we feel uh, uh, joyful because God has provided, or He has. Uh, done something he's answered prayer in a way that we wanted and therefore we praise him right we will say well i'm thankful today for for my family's health okay well what if your family doesn't have health are you going to praise the lord for his grace and mercy in the midst of your physical illness and weakness right you can it's easy to say well i praise god because i i was sick and he healed me well that's great that's wonderful praise the lord But would you also say, I praise God because I was sick, and he chose not to heal me. But he's been gracious to me, and given me strength to endure. You see, we ought to praise God and focus on him. Praise is about him. It's about his mighty acts. It's not about our circumstances. Praise is not about how we feel. Praise is not for us. Praise is for him. The psalmist says, praise him for his mighty acts. And of course, what else has God done for you and for me? Well, 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 you know, there's so much we could, we can, we can list, but um, aside from creation, aside from his hand of providence in our life, we got to praise him for salvation. We got to praise him for the plan of redemption. Our God thought up a plan, right? He came up with a plan, not just a plan to deal with sin not just to, because he 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 could have decided to just judge sin and do away with sinners and remove sin from the earth and that would have been a, a good plan he could have done that but he didn't he chose instead to redeem his creation his creatures specifically the the rebels who had turned against him he chose uh, to begin a plan of redemption and we know that Ephesians 1 tells us that this was God's plan from eternity past that God had had orchestrated his his plan he has worked out his plan for all of eternity uh, acts when when Peter preaches about about what happened to God uh, to Christ when he died on the cross Peter says that that uh it was the, 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 the wicked, uh, Israelites, the wicked Jews who took Jesus and, and their hands who, 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 who brutalized him and sent him to the cross and through the, you know, using the, the, the Romans, uh, to, to work with them and do that. But, but Peter says that they did only what God had foreordained that they should do because it was part of God's plan to send his son to become a man. We, we, again, we just celebrate that through the Christmas season. And and we think about Jesus Christ coming to earth and condescending, coming down from the, the glories of heaven to become a man, to take on a physical body, to live in this world, to experience pain and suffering and weakness and sickness and disease and all of the things that we experience. He lived through those same things. He experienced loved ones who suffered pain and loss and death. He experienced the pain. Listen, Jesus experienced the pain of having uh, uh, loved ones and close family members who were not believers. Right. The, the The indication from scripture is that Jesus' brothers were not believers when he died on the cross, and Jesus went to the cross and died for their sins. And yet, his brothers continued to resist his uh, his identity and, and resist him and refuse to believe on him and in some measure at some level in jesus humanity there 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 was a that that he he experienced that sense and many of you know what i'm talking about the the the, the pain of having a loved one who is refusing to trust in jesus christ who has heard the gospel but who is re- resisting and rejecting it and you know the pain of that you know the longing of your heart, the fact that you realize that, that every day that goes by, that, that loved one is closer and closer to an eternity under the, the condemnation of God because of their sin. And you know that. And you experience that, 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 the struggle and the frustration of that and the grief of your heart as you think about that person who's lost. Jesus knows what you experienced. And then, of course, Jesus not only lived and experienced those things, but Jesus died on the cross. He was the Lamb of God. He bore your sins and my sins in his own body when he went to that tree. And he hung there and he died on that cross for your sins. And all of that is great and mighty acts of God. Jesus dying on the cross and and uttering those great and powerful words, it is finished when he had finally paid for our sins and he gave up the ghost and he died. And then, of course, we know three days later, Uh, We celebrate at Easter time the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who could not be kept in the grave uh, because he was the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he rose conquering even over death. You want to talk about mighty acts of God for which he deserves praise. Well, there's a great deal. There's, there's even more yet to come because that was all contained in Jesus' first coming. We have Jesus' second coming, uh, which is promised as well. When he returns to the earth, establishes his kingdom, rules and reigns over the world, and, and, and exercises true and righteous judgment. We just finished uh, doing our, uh, as, as a church and as a family, we just finished our second uh, read-through of the Bible uh, in the last four years, uh, just this week. And so I had the opportunity with the kids to finish reading the book of Revelation, and of course Paul out too, but um, we read through that, and, and it was kind of funny. Everybody was not, not fighting, but there's a little argument that happened over who was going to read the last verses of the book of Revelation. Uh, so in order to resolve the argument, we just all read them together, the last two verses of Revelation. But what a great uh, reminder of the mighty acts of God that ha- are yet to come. God's judgment, the final judgment where he sets everything right, where he makes sure that no one gets away with anything, right he makes sure that the person who gets a, who escapes justice in this world will not escape justice finally, where everything that is wrong will be made right where where the the, the tears of his people will be wiped away, uh, where there will be an, an ushering in of life eternal and an incorruptibility now, all of the things that we look forward to all the things we long for. All of that is yet to come and those are the mighty acts of God. Think about this. What is it that you can praise God for today? Take your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of your circumstances. Get them off of, of your own, uh, problems and troubles. And take some time to simply meditate on the mighty acts of God, and that will fuel your praise. But the second thing he says, there is praise him according to his excellent greatness. It's not just the things he has done. It is also who he is. Our God is a God who is incomparable in his attributes. He is a God who is holy. And what that means, that word holy, means he is completely other. He is completely distinct. There is no one like him. There is no one who can do what he does. No one who can be what he is. No one. He is absolutely and utterly unique. He is the epitome of love. He is the epitome of goodness. He is the most benevolent giver. Uh, he is the the all wise God who who never uh, makes a misstep. Uh, he is uh, all powerful. He is never um, never uh, finds himself at a loss for strength or for the ability to do his will. Uh, he is righteous. He always does what is right, perfectly every time, without exception. Uh and Just think about this. His his moral qualities here, his his character and his nature. It is the, how would we sum it up best? The psalmist says, "Praise him according to his excellent greatness." His greatness exceeds. It is excellent. It goes beyond. Anything that we could possibly compare it to. And so again, if you're at a loss for something to praise God for, simply think about, simply meditate on who he is, on his character, his attributes and his nature, and you will see that he is worthy of praise and you will have, you will have something to say. You will have something to speak of. Even if you can't think of anything great he has done, you can think of who he is and you can speak of his, uh, his, uh, uh, attributes, his moral qualities, and you can proclaim he is true, he is just, he is righteous, he is good, he is upright, he is holy, he is powerful, he is loving, he is gentle, right? He supplies, he cares, he is tender-hearted, all of these things that he is uh and these are things for which he has to be praised. So listen, uh we could spend a lot more time uh and uh, and but but we we won't. Um just listing out uh all of the the reasons, all of the causes uh for praise. Why is he to be praised? Well, uh because there's no one like him. He is absolutely and and completely unique and therefore he deserves praise. And notice, uh and the next question really would be the how right uh how is he to be praised and uh, i don't want to spend too much time here although there's quite a bit to be said but verses 3 uh through 5 speak of the different uh instrumentation that is used here praise him with the sound of the trumpet uh, the trumpet here is the shofar a shofar is a it is not a a trumpet of 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 brass or silver. Uh, it's, it's a, an animal horn, uh, that's been hollowed out. And so it doesn't really have a mouthpiece. You can't really make notes with it per se. Uh, it, it's simply for blasting and making sounds. It's really a signaling instrument. The trumpet here, that probably the reason it, it starts off the list here is the trumpet was used as the call to bring people to gather to praise. The, it was the signal to begin uh and uh it was oftentimes used in military uh situations because you could signal it's very loud um I have one. I thought about pulling it out and playing it for you on this, but maybe not today um but the trumpet here, the sound of the trumpet this is the signal to begin uh and then notice what other instruments are used. Praise him with the lute and the harp these are are stringed instruments um and 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 they require a great deal of skill. Uh, and, 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 uh, stringed instruments, not easy to play, something you have to work at, it's something that's a beautiful tone and a richness, uh, of the sound, uh, uh, we think of the, the, the harp and the lute would it be, not really a guitar, but, but somewhat similar A stringed instrument with a box on one end, a resonating box. And the idea is it's just this beautiful string, uh, stringed instruments that, that were often used in the worship of God and mentioned many times throughout the Psalms. And then we see praise him in verse four with the timbrel and dance. Uh, and uh, the timbrel here is a instrument kind of like a tambourine. It's a rhythm instrument, um, and, of course, the dance. And, and the, it was very common for the women in Israel to use the timbrel and to dance uh, we read about that, for instance, in Exodus 15. Uh, you can read about Miriam and the women of Israel after the the deliverance of the Red Sea, when Pharaoh's army was destroyed, and uh, and they sing the song of Moses. And then, following the song of Moses, Miriam and the women respond, and they they dance and they and they play the tambourines here, the timbrels. And uh, this was a, a a very customary thing. And very th- listen, this is not like uh, the kind of dance that we see today uh, in churches, and certainly not in the greater culture at large. Um, this kind of dancing, uh, would have been circle dancing, men with men, women with women. Um, it would not have been sensual at all. In fact, um, it, really, when you think about it, it, it is, in a lot, in a large sense, this idea of the Timberland dance is simply this, right? That it's, th- there are times in life when you are so overjoyed Uh, At some circumstance, some event, something that's happened uh, that you almost cannot contain your joy and you spin around or you throw your hands up and you shout and you jump for joy. And that's the picture here. Uh, And I love it. Spurgeon says, and I won't be able to quote him exactly, but he says something to the effect here that, uh, well, there are circumstances in life that cause us to want to dance for joy with exuberant joy. Shouldn't the praise of God be that which causes us to dance, right? Shouldn't that be, if there's going to be anything that makes us want to dance, that makes us want to uh, spin around and jump and throw our hands up and be excited, shouldn't it be the praise of God? Uh, Why should we waste our exuberant joy and our dancing on a football game or on the birth of a child? Although those are great things, not necessarily equal, um, but, but great things to be excited about, right? I, I, I remember that. I remember the when, when our first first child was born, when Michael was born, and uh I remember being there in the hospital and that was um unusual for us. We didn't intend to be at the hospital, we planned to have a home birth, but we ended up at the hospital and he was born and I remember holding um um well I remember being able to you know, hold him there and then um and, and just in the first moments after he was born, it was such a euphoria. Uh, and, and, a sense of, of just wonder and amazement at, at, at what had transpired and the birth of my own son. That was such a, a wonderful thing. It was so exciting. And, and I remember, um, my, my sister-in-law was waiting out in the waiting area. And, uh, and, and so something was said about, well, go, you should go out and, and tell her, uh, that he had been born and, and that it was a boy. And, and uh, I remember turning to go out of the room and, and, Stumbling over the, the trash can because it was there. I didn't see it. I was so euphoric with joy. I like didn't even pay attention. And all of a sudden I'm tri- tripping and about falling on my face just trying to get out the door in that moment because I was so overjoyed. And that's kind of the picture here. It, it's like, listen, if you're going to get, if you're going to get excited about something, if you're going to, going to jump up and down, if you're going to throw your hands up in the air, then it should be over the praise of the, of the Lord. And it should be over the praise of God. That ought to cause us to be excited. That should be something we reserve our greatest expressions of joy and rejoicing for, is for God. And then notice here, he says, praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. So again, we have more stringed instruments. And then we have flutes, which are wind instruments. Uh, And so there's a variety of sounds here, a variety of different kinds of music and, and instruments that are used. And some of these instruments are instruments that are used inside the, the temple in Old Testament worship. And other ones are used outside the temple. And some of them are used in people's homes. Um, and then lastly, verse 5, praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. There's two different types of symbols mentioned here. And, and listen, whatever else we can say about the symbols, we can say this. They were loud. That's the point. Uh, these are intended to be loud. Nobody is falling asleep. In this worship service here, okay. Nobody is, 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 is allowed to, to doze off because the cymbals are crashing, the, the pipes are playing, the flutes are playing, the, the strings are playing, uh we we have the trumpet being blown, we have people dancing and shouting and jumping for joy. And all of this, why? All of it is centered on the Lord. Now, one thing that is important here, and I, I just want I don't want to belabor this point too much for sake of time, but one thing that's important here to note. Uh, you wouldn't get a bunch of people together, gather everybody together, get them all in the same place and say, all right, we're going to hand out instruments. Everybody just kind of pick one, take one, we'll hand them out. And then everybody just kind of start playing and we'll make some noise for the Lord. Uh Sometimes we have this idea. We, we love to joke around. You use the, the verse that says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And, uh, and we say, well, I'm not very good at singing. I'm not a very good musician, but I'll make a joyful noise. Uh, and we, we kind of, we kind of laugh about that and acknowledge that we're not very good. Um. But I don't think that fits here, right? This is not a haphazard, um, unprepared, unpracticed, uh, thing. What the psalmist here is talking about is a, a worship gathering in which the people of God take the time to prepare, to organize, to, to use their skills and abilities and their talents to worship and praise the Lord. And this is something that I think ought to challenge us today. There are a lot of people today that that will that will say, "Well, I'm just not very good at singing, or I just don't have a I don't have the skill to play an instrument, or or I don't I don't have the time to 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 practice or to learn or to work at something like that." And I think that we do a disservice to the Lord if we gather to worship without preparing to worship, because these instruments you don't gather and play these instruments without preparing. You don't you don't sit down and play without some sort of organization here. And the thought that, that somehow this would just be, everybody pick up an instrument and start playing, start making noise and worship the Lord. I don't think that's honoring to the Lord. And I don't think that's what the psalmist has in view here at all. And so I think we, if we're not careful, may do a disservice to the Lord. If we quickly dismiss any preparation for worship, if we don't, if we don't take time to think about what we're going to say and what we're going to sing and what we're going to affirm when we gather, and maybe, I know this is a radical thought, but maybe you and I ought to take the time to study music and learn a skill or learn an instrument or maybe just learn how to sing better so we can do a better job of worshiping the Lord. Is he worth it to you to take the time and the effort that's required to develop some skill, to, to, to maybe practice, to maybe learn some new hymns and learn how to sing them? Maybe learn how to sing a part? it You say, well, I'm just not naturally gifted. Okay, not everyone is going to be as talented, but that doesn't mean that we can't all learn and work and improve. And I simply ask this, is God worth it to you to do something to prepare for worship? Is he worth it to you to do something to be excellent in worship, to offer him that which is excellent when you come to worship him? And I think that this would challenge us here. Maybe there are some people in our congregation that that have some, some ability with an instrument that you've maybe neglected. And you need to maybe come and say, hey, Pastor, um, I could play an instrument. I'd love to be able to help out. I'd love to be able to do more uh, with instrumentation. And I'm thankful for our pianists that we have that play. I'm thankful for some other people that will play some instruments from time to time. But I'd love for us to have more of that. And I think if we have the skills, if we have the learning, or if we're willing to learn to do it, we we would benefit from that. And, and we would be able to offer the Lord something that would be an act of worship and praise that is worthy of our God. I think we should challenge, maybe take the challenge in 2021 uh, to, to prepare for worship and do it in a way that really brings Him glory, that demonstrates this great diversity of sound and the beautiful instrumentation as God's people come together, having prepared and having uh, uh, readied themselves to worship the Lord, uh, and I think that's important. And lastly, look at verse six. This is how the psalm concludes, and in many ways, this is maybe not a new point, but I would say it does answer the question of who, right? Who should worship the Lord? Who should praise Him? And notice what it says: Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, right? There is there is no one who is left out here. Everything that has breath, this includes everyone. This includes you, and this includes me. Now, one of the reasons why you may not worship the Lord today, one of the reasons why you may not praise the Lord, is that you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you have not trusted in Christ, that you are a rebel right? You are, a re- you are living in rebellion against your king and against your creator. And here's the problem with that. The rebel doesn't praise his king. The rebel doesn't uh, praise the the rightful governor and authority. The rebel scoffs at them. He mocks them. He rejects them. And so if you are not uh, trusting in the Lord, and you are not a child of God, and you have not humbled yourself and, and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, then you are not worshiping Him. You cannot praise Him, you will not praise Him. You will squander your days, you will squander your life, wasting it rather than praising the God who made you, rather than praising Jesus Christ, who died for your sins and who was r- raised again uh, and who is ascended to heaven the rightful king the one to whom you owe your allegiance if you choose to continue to live in rebellion against him and you refuse him and you reject him then this psalm is really a word of condemnation to you because you are refusing to do what you have been created to do you're refusing to fulfill your purpose in life and what could be worse than to live a life That is purposeless. Live a life contrary to the purpose for which you are made. That life will culminate in judgment. No, the psalmist tells us here that everything that has breath is to praise the Lord. And so there is a sense in which this psalm is a call for all people everywhere to bow the knee. To recognize that Jesus Christ is the rightful Lord. To confess Him as Lord, to declare Him as Lord, to give Him your life. And then join in the chorus of praise. you imagine what it will be like when everything that has breath praises the Lord? You say, well, that's not happening, and I don't see any evidence that it's happening in 2021 any more than it did in 2020. Okay, well, that's true. But you can read in the book of Revelation, chapter 5. Where it describes the, 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 uh, uh, the crescendo of praise beginning with the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders who are seated around the throne who begin to worship and praise the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And then that song is taken up by multitudes and myriads. John says thousands of thousands around the throne who begin to praise the Lord. The choir gets pretty big. It gets bigger and louder. But then he concludes and says that everything in heaven, everything on the earth, everything under the earth, everything in the sea, everything begins to cry out with one voice and praise the Lord. That is going to happen one day. So the real issue we have today is this. What are we waiting for? There is coming a day when all that have breath will praise the Lord. But you and I have today. We have been given this opportunity today. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to spend today complaining about our aches and our pains, about our physical weakness, about our sicknesses? Are we going to spend today complaining about our our boss or our husband or wife or our kids or our parents? Are we going to complain about the car that doesn't run right? Are we going to complain about uh the house that 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 you know, we, we don't have the house we wish we had. Are we going to complain about, uh, you know, the, the extra pounds we're carrying around? Are we going to complain about, uh, our job? Are we going to complain? Are we going to spend all of our time complaining? Rather, we're going to take the opportunity today to praise the Lord, to join in the chorus that is ongoing and to prepare by our active participation today for the great day when all that has breath will indeed praise the Lord. When everything is said and done, the final word, the final word from the book of Psalms is this, and it's the very last part of verse 6, praise the Lord, hallelujah. The psalmist can write, he can instruct us to praise, he can tell us that we ought to praise and why and how, but he cannot help because when everything is said and done, there's one thing left and that is he must praise the Lord himself. And so we conclude the book of Psalms, we conclude this psalm, we conclude this message, but hopefully not conclude, but begin this new year and each day with a word of praise on our lips. For our God, will you praise Him today? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this wonderful, brief little psalm. This 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 uh, exclamation point at the end of the book of Psalms. I know there's a lot of temptations to get down about a lot of things right now. A lot of things that are wrong in the world a lot of things that are wrong in our lives a lot of things that are wrong even in our church lord we're not perfect we don't claim to be that's easy for us to get frustrated by those things and get discouraged father i pray you would take us and take our eyes off of ourselves today take our eyes off of our circumstances and let us simply gaze upon you on who you are and what you've done fill our hearts and our minds and our voices and our hands with praise that we can offer to you. And let us never fail to let a day go by in which we proclaim your goodness, in which we proclaim and bless your name because you are worthy of worship and worthy of praise. And oh, Father, I pray that you would receive the praise of our lips as an offering that is fit for you and for your name. We thank you for this privilege Help us to make the most of it today and this year in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, as I said, Lord willing, next Sunday uh, we'll be gathered again in person uh, at our 9.30 a.m. uh, for a fully equipped class um, and then uh, also uh, for our 1045 worship service. Uh, And uh, so if there's any questions that you have, I uh, would encourage you to reach out this week. We'd love to minister to you. If there's anything we can do for you, if you'd like to hear more uh, about uh, what we've talked about today, if you have any questions, uh, please contact me uh, and uh, and visit our website, ebclcorn.com. Uh, and uh, we'd love to be able to be a blessing to you and a ministry as well. God bless you and thank you and have a happy new year.